This is the Mind the Gap Podcast, Episode 10. Hello, I'm Dr. Brandon Party Cooper. And I am Pastor Matt Wozbinski. And this is Mind the Gap, a podcast designed to help ministry leaders like you fill the gap between your ministry training and your week-to-week experience. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? I am tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, um, so one, just quarantine life still. And then two, um, I am actually in, uh, mid Michigan where we just had a ton of flooding. Oh Uh, yeah. You had two dams break. Is that right? Yes. So it was basically, it was like this domino effect, um, where we had a ton of water and then which caused one dam to break. And then all of that water went down river, which then, over flooded another dam which caused that to break and then a third one probably should have broke but it actually uh it got flooded so like water was going over the top of it but it slowed it down enough to where like it stayed standing um and just got severely damaged um but we had nine feet of water in some areas like houses wash away um yeah it was insane so The big problem that we're running into locally is that um, a lot of the places that got flooded, they don't have flood insurance because they have like a hundred year floodplain and this reached the 500 year floodplain. (laughs) So this is like the biggest flood that they've had in 500 years. Uh, And so um, I think that at its deepest point by the river, it got up to like the river crested at like 38 feet or something like that. So it was bananas, but Um, the amazing part was nobody died. Um, so that was really good, uh, because the dams at least slowed everything down. So it wasn't like a flash flood situation. It was more of a, okay, this is about to break. It broke. This is about to break. It broke. And so people kind of had time to prepare, um, but just very limited time. So people couldn't get a lot of their stuff out. And so you had like people like canoeing and kayaking back to their house the next day. And, um, so the nice I mean, the kind of ray of light is that it was mostly just stuff and the community's come together really well. Um, our church has been, and just seeing not only our church, but just churches across the board, uh, awesome organizations like Convoy of Hope have come out and um, just really helped people. Uh, it's been actually like a logistical pain in the butt in a good way, <laughs> um, trying to organize and help people out because people are helping other people so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So like someone will post, hey, there's like this 80-year-old couple who lost everything and they need basically their basement carpet gutted and drywall knocked out. And then we'll try to organize people. And then an hour or two later, they're like, oh, 15 people showed up and it's done. So like, it's great and it's awesome. Um, And just to kind of see how everyone's kind of banded together and just tried to make things work. So water is receded. Um, Most of like the demo trash side is done. And now it's a lot more of just insurance claims and trying to piece things back together. But um, but it's going well. And um, the community and churches in particular have really stepped up. So uh, across the board, so across denominations and all that sort of stuff have been very great at just teaming up and helping people so um yeah it's 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 weird it's been crazy um well because you're also still in lockdown oh yeah and so uh i told you about this earlier but it's (laughs) the joke has been 
Michigan is the only place where you can have a stay at home order and an evacuation order on the same day. And so people were making that joke where it's like, you're not allowed to leave your house, but you need to evacuate your house. So figure that out. Um, but yeah, so it's been super duper crazy and kind of like this weird, almost twilighty zone thing because we are still under lockdown. Things are all shut down, but then people are gathering in large groups to help like clear out people's flooded basements. But then at the same time, you're not supposed to be in large groups. Um, so it's just been crazy, but really kind of, it's interesting kind of how God, like, um, you know, we always say that God doesn't necessarily like cause bad things to happen, but how he can use bad things for good. And so um, my wife, Ashley made a really good point. Like we don't have school right now because of COVID. Um, but we've been using those schools as shelters for people in the flooding. And we wouldn't be able to do that if kids were in school currently. And so once again, not saying that, you know, God sent COVID because flooding would happen, but at the same time, it's really cool how we've been able to, uh, you know, use a bad situation and use it for good and say, okay, since we don't have schools, like I know our local high school had like 250 families that were just like staying in their gym and in their lobby and all that sort of stuff. Wow. Uh, because they lost their homes. And so that wouldn't have been, they would have had to find a different place to meet if, you know, it was regular school time. So, um, but yeah, so been crazy, but really kind of refreshing to see people have hope and work together and all that fun stuff. So, well, and it's great to see the church responding, you know, oh, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and we've seen that over the last couple of months, but mm-hmm. again, another situation rises, you know, and the church responds again. And so um, it's just good to see, you know, churches, kind of coming together and responding to the situations that we're dealing with. And so, yeah. Absolutely. So very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So that kind of is a good uh, lead in is what we're talking about in this episode. So, um, you know, we're all in this, you know, post COVID scenario, mm-hmm. you know, we across the country have different levels of opening. You guys are still not open, correct? Correct. So Michigan probably outside of, California and New York is probably the most strict when it comes to lockdown. So um, very few businesses are open. Um, and I think that the rule as of now is you can have 10 or less people gather. So that's where we're at right now. So, right. and then where you guys in Iowa is basically like the wild West, like you guys can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite. <laughs> yeah. We're in various phases because we're, so the way Iowa is doing it is doing it by County. And so, mm-hmm. you know, much of the count or much of the state has been open for yeah almost a month now, I think. Whereas our County, um, we have just started opening up like restaurants and things. Um, maybe a week and a half ago. Okay. So like, I know for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm finally going to get my haircut on Monday. Yes. So this crazy mop on my head <laughs> is going to be taken care of. And so, yeah, so we're about a week and a half, maybe two weeks into opening up, you know, some various businesses. And so, so yeah, throughout the, the state, it's all different stages based on where the numbers are and, and all that kind of stuff. So so yeah, I guess in some ways that's kind of the wild west because <laughs> you know, depending on where you are, you exactly know. you cross county lines and all of a sudden. Well, and then even like where we are here in you know, we're right on the river. And so if you cross the river into Illinois, well, it's like, you know, it's like the apocalypse happens and you know, yeah. everybody's locked in and nobody's moving and you know, everybody's getting all stir crazy. So yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a weird 
time right now. Yeah, we're the same because we have one of our campuses is uh, pretty South Michigan and Ohio is pretty much opened up, um, at least kind of the same as um, Iowa, where, you know, restaurants with social distancing, seeing all that. And so uh, a lot of our pastors are joking, like, they're going to drive the 30 minutes to go get a haircut or <laughs> do whatever, like, you know what I mean? I'm going to like drive 30 minutes, cross the border. So then I can go like eat inside of a Chick-fil-A, like yeah. <laughs> all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a crazy time. And, you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, we're still kind of at the beginning of all this, you know, mm-hmm. we still don't know, you know, when things are going to, you know, when we'll be able to meet in services normally, like we did before, you know, I know, you know, some people I've talked to, they're even asking the question, will that ever, you know, happen, you know, or will it happen a year from now or whatever. And so, you know, so in the midst of all this, you know, we're pretty much in new territory. Normal is, you know, normal three, three or four months ago is probably never coming back uh, to reality. Mm -hmm. And so for all of our listeners, pastors and ministry leaders, it's all new territory moving forward. And so a lot of that has, you know, a lot of what we've seen in the last couple of months or a few months have been a lot of reaction. You know, this is what's happening. So we have to do this and this is what's happening. So you have to do this. Well, now we're kind of coming into the phase of, okay, we're starting to reopen and we're starting to rethink, you know, how are we doing church and how are we doing ministry and, and, and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And so we're making a lot of brand new decisions. And so the, the premium on good decision-making is pretty high right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we wanted to do in this episode is we wanted to talk through how to make good decisions, what, what that process looks like. um, What are the things that we have to look at? We're going to pull material from a book by Chip and Dan Heath called decisive. And they've done lots of research um, on decision-making and, and how leaders make decisions and what, what that looks like and how they make good successful decisions. We're going to kind of unpack that, um, and, and, and apply that to a ministry context and how we as pastors, as we go into the summer and look to the fall and even look to, you know, 2021 and the use of a vaccine and all those things, how can we make really good decisions when we don't always have the most reliable information? We don't have any playbook, how to, you know, none of us took the, you know, how to survive pandemic 101 class, <laughs> yeah, you know, slept in that day. Yeah, we just have missed all of that. This is all brand new. So how do we make good decisions as we move forward um, into the future? And so um, so I'm going to hand it over to you, Matt, because what we first want to do is we want to identify uh, what the Heath brothers talk about is they, they talk about the four villains of good decision making. And I'm going to let you kind of unpack that uh, first. All right. So these villains are basically... Um, you know, if our, if you want to over-spiritualize it, <laughs> they are our like sin nature or um, kind of like that natural bend of if you are making an impulsive decision, if you are making a decision, like not clearly thinking it through, these are the things that naturally will come up. Um, and so these are kind of the easier decision making ones that typically lead to bad decisions. So the first villain is narrow framing. What that means really is that um, we are really limiting the options that we consider. Maybe it's something that you have already done. And so you're like, oh, I've done this before. So let's just do that again. Or the big church down the road is doing it. So it makes really smart sense that we can just copy and paste that and do it ourselves. Uh, Narrow framing is basically just saying, I am going to limit what kind of intake I have and what kind of opinions I'm going to consume. 
um, based on my own previous experience or what I have seen works in the past um, and not really looking at a wider scope of what the different possibilities are. Um, maybe it's you're only getting your news or your source or your information from one source and then that's what you're going to base everything off of. Uh, you might be missing out on a lot of really good ideas. Um, maybe it's even like a denominational thing. Maybe you're saying, well, if, you know, my denomination, if this is what the other, you know, 30 churches or whatever are doing, and you're not looking to other denominations or something and saying, okay, well, we might not line up on everything theologically, but from a practical standpoint, like how are they safely opening up for COVID or how are they uh, reaching their communities? Uh, we need to kind of not have that narrow framing and limit the options that we look at. So that's the bad way of how we do it. Um, what are some good ways of making these decision processes? Yeah, so the Heath Brothers, they give us what they call the RAP process, W-R-A-P, RAP process. And they start out with, you know, and it's pretty self-explanatory, widen your options. Um, you know, consider beyond what you know. Consider beyond what you're experienced with. And the first thing they suggest doing is is multi-track or use A-B testing. And so um, we use A-B testing a lot in business. We don't see it so much in the church, at least in my 20 years of ministry. I don't think I've ever run across an A-B testing process. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the business world, and particularly my experience has been on the online marketing side, what you do with A-B testing is you create two versions of the same thing and you run them side by side. So for instance, if I'm creating you know, if I'm creating a sales page for a product, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create two pages, um, two websites that are going to run side by side. And every time, you know, I'm going to attach them to my ad. When I put the ad out there, whenever somebody clicks on it, it's going to randomly send them to one of the two pages. And over time, you kind of watch and see which page is converting better, which page is sending them, you know, people are clicking and saying, yes, I want to buy that product. And over time, you start to see which one is outperforming the other. You shut down the one that's not, you, you know, you keep the one that is, and then you copy that and you tweak something and see, so maybe you change the background image or something like that. And you're constantly A-B testing or multi-tracking trying to see what is working and what's not. And so, um, so, you know, so that's, that's how we kind of widen our options because, you know, in ministry there, there's so many different things that we could do um, so many different options that we could consider. And sometimes we, you know, we go with what we know, we go with what we're comfortable with rather than saying, you know, well, what if this worked? And, and sometimes it's because we feel like we have to choose one Mm-hmm. or the other. Whereas if we can figure out a way to A-B test or to multi-track, um, you know, that at least widens our, the options for us to try. Um, does it, does that, it, yeah. how, how can we apply that to ministry? Well, and I think that when you were talking, the thing that stood out to me is in ministry, we're so scared to kill things. <laughs> um, and I think that that is one of the reasons why you probably don't see a lot of A-B testing. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't want people to, um, you know, you tried something for a couple months, it didn't work. So let's cut that and move the resources to something else because then you feel like it failed. Right. Um, I remember I worked with a coworker and we had, um, a pastor who would kind of cut us off before even our ideas could start running. And we really kind of had to sit down and tell him, Hey, we don't consider it a waste of time to almost like brainstorm 
Like, what if we did this? And then think of all the different possibilities and then come to you. And then maybe you shoot it down and say, hey, that's just not the direction that we need to go right now. Right. Um, We don't consider that a waste of time because maybe down the road, that's something that we take pieces Mm -hmm. from or something like that. Um, And I think that a lot of times in ministry, people are afraid to kill the thing. And so they're like, well, I don't want to almost like build something knowing it's going to die. And so um, when you were kind of explaining that that's something in ministry, I think that we fear a lot is, well, I don't want to launch something or try something. Mm -hmm. um, And then maybe it falls apart or maybe it, you know, fails. For example, um, maybe you're not sure if you should have a Facebook group or a Facebook page. Well, maybe try both. Right. And kind of invite people to both of them, see which one starts getting more traction, and then feel comfortable after a couple of months. Okay, this is getting no traction. No one's really participating in it. Let's just cut that out and then just put all of our effort into this. Right. Um, and so I think that people just need to be a little bit more comfortable trying that A-B testing mm-hmm. um, in more practical ways. Well, I think some of that, too, is how we build the culture of our church, you know. Part of the reason we don't want to kill stuff is because people, you know, congregants or, you know, leaders within our church, they, you know, they get so attached to something that if you kill it, it's like you're taking a part of them away. And, you know, part of it as leaders and as pastors, that's what we have to do is we have to create a culture that's innovative and a culture that's that's trying new things and, and kind of ebbing and flowing and is okay with setting aside something that maybe isn't effective. Because even like you said, it may not be effective now but maybe down the road it will be more effective. Maybe a circumstance will change or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's good. It's always trying to look at how, you know, how can we brainstorm and come up with new ideas that we test and, you know, if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll look for another way or maybe we'll shelf it for a while and come back to it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that, again, A-B testing or multi-tracking is a great way to kind of widen our options. So uh, what about villain number two? So villain number two is confirmation bias, um, which I think that, uh, especially with social media today, we see a lot of. Um, So that's seeking information that validates our own beliefs. So it's the person that always shares an article. Um, You know, there's 50 articles that come out on something, and they'll show the one that agrees with them. And it's always amazing. Like, you can always find the one that agrees with you. Um, And I think that sometimes in ministry, we do the same thing. Uh, You try to find the example where it agrees with what you already wanted to do. Um, So you're thinking of a decision. um, Maybe it is something, let's go back to COVID. Maybe you are weighing, do we open? Do we stay online? Do we wait a couple of weeks? What do we do? Um, And maybe um, in your mind, you already say, this is what we're going to do. Maybe not because God has directed you in that way, but that's just because that's what you personally want to do. And then what you try to do is say, okay, well, what other churches are doing it? How can I kind of justify this decision um, to kind of find evidence to back up what I already want to do versus coming to the table and saying, okay, we want to effectively preach the gospel and we want to reach this community. Uh, Is opening up an in-person service the best way to do that? Uh, Are we able to do that while remaining online? Uh, And kind of going from that perspective of lead me to the right answer versus uh, kind of be... I have the answer already. Now let me kind of gather information. That's how you get a lot of really bad uh, Bible scholars also is when people are like, hey, I believe this is right or this is wrong or this is my view on something. And let me quick uh, type into you version that word and find some scriptures that line up with what I already agree versus, hey, let's go to scripture and say, what does God have to say about this and shape our opinions based off of that. So villain number two is that confirmation bias of trying to, 
prop up your own belief, what you already think with information that fits versus looking at all the information and then making a decision based off of that. So how do we kind of resist against that? So this is the R in the wrap test or the wrap process. Um, And it's reality test your assumptions. Um, And so, you know, our assumptions and our ideas are what, you know, we're, we're bought in and we love those. Um, But we have to, we have to test them and figure out, okay, are they really, viable or do we just do we just fall in love with our own ideas and so um you know one of the things that one of the things that helps us do that is to encourage or even create constructive disagreements or constructive you know conversations you know especially among your staff you know i think that as lead pastors one of the challenges that we can run into is we can run into this idea that i'm the lead pastor and and you know I'm responsible for this church and for the congregation and, you know, the staff is in the board are here to kind of, you know, run through my ideas. And so we just kind of hand out ideas and say, okay, now go execute. Mm -hmm. Really what, you know, for accountability sake, and even for just better decision-making as, as lead pastors, what we really need to do is we need to um, almost encourage our staff to, to disagree in a structured, um, you know, civil format. Mm-hmm. Um, it, cause the reality is, is it, for any of us as leaders, people are going to disagree with us. Mm-hmm. Might as well put it into a format where we're a part of the conversation <laughs> instead of, you know, in the back rooms or at the water cooler or wherever, you know, let's create the constructive criticism or constructive disagreement situation that we can be a part of and learn from, mm-hmm. um, you know, to kind of test our assumptions. So, you know, with any leader, if we have an idea as a pastor, we have an idea, Bring, bring your staff together and say, hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking. And then sit back and be open to whatever they come up with. Because the reality is, is none of us see all angles. None mm-hmm. of us do. And so whenever we throw it out to our staff, the team that we trust, that we've hired, that we've built around us, when we throw things out to them, we really need to pay attention to what they're saying. Because if they're coming back and saying, hey, you know, we need to be aware of this, or we need to watch for this, or this is really not a very good idea – we really need to pay attention to that because that's what helps us um, from making bad decisions. And so, you know, so yeah, just, you know, sparking constructive disagreements um, that other leaders and other people that you trust can be a part of that um, is going to be a healthy step for reality testing our assumptions. And so absolutely. And I think that the last thing you want as a leader is to be in a staff meeting, say, Hey guys, this is where we're going. Everyone say, okay. And then they leave. And they close the door and say, oof, <laughs> I don't know if that's the, that's the best idea. I ain't going to tell them, but maybe you tell them. Um, like that's the last thing you want is where everyone's like, okay, just kind of nods along and says, all right, whatever you want to do. And then, but then, like you said, at the water cooler or on the Keurig, they're just shaking their head like, I don't know how that's going to work, but okay. Um, and like you said, there can be a very productive way of doing it. I'm not saying, you know, let's throw a wet blanket on every single idea. But uh, I think that you, for me, one of the things that I am starting to appreciate now that I'm getting a little bit older is reading um, articles and reading books that are counter to what I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And a part of that is because those arguments or those pitfalls or whatever are going to be out there. And I would rather wrestle with those in a safe environment, which hopefully your staff and your team is a safe environment. Right. Someone say, okay, well, what about this situation? Or what are we going to do when someone brings this up? Um, And instead of just shooting it down saying you're being negative or you're being like, you know, overcritical, 
Um, it's not saying that you can't even go forward with that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, let's go back to COVID because it's just like the big thing. Let's say you decide that you want to open up, um, you know, your team can be behind it. And then they say, okay, well, what do we do if someone tests positive? Like what's that step? God forbid that happens. I'm not saying it's going to happen or that, okay, that's a possibility. So we shouldn't open, right? but we should have a process. So then if it does happen, we're not having that conversation then, or if someone even has that question, well, I really would love to come to church, but what steps are you taking to make sure to ensure that my family is safe and healthy? Then you've at least worked that problem through um, because you've had that disagreement in a healthy way with the team that you trust. And so it's not even saying that the disagreements have to lead to you changing what your original idea was, but it's almost like it's been battle tested in some way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, and another way that we can, we can kind of reality test our assumptions is also, you know, finding ways to test the idea or test the theory before jumping in fully. And so, um, so let, you know, let's just say like opening up, mm-hmm. you know, let's say you're a church and you're still closed, you're still doing online services, you know, and, and you're wrestling with this idea of, do we open, do we not open? Well, maybe instead of saying, we're going to, you know, open up or, you know, have some sort of, you know, social distancing service, maybe you just set a date and say, Hey, you know, we're not really going to open up, but we're going to, we're going to, you know, on this Sunday, whenever we're going to have, you know, kind of an open service. We're going to social distance. We're just going to do it for one Sunday, open up who wants to come comes. And then the next week you go right back to where you were with online services and everybody knows that ahead of time, Mm -hmm. but then it allows you to kind of test it. It allows you to think through, okay, here are the things we ran into and the things we have to think through, you know, it gives you kind of a model now because you've tested your idea. You've, you've run it one time. You're not committed to it long-term. Then mm-hmm. you and your staff can now come back and say, okay, here are all the things we didn't even think about that we now need to figure out before we open up fully, you know? Yeah. And there was a, a real life example of something that just happened was, Um, I was in a meeting with our different campuses for the first impressions team. So, you know, greeters and coffee team and parking team and all that sort of stuff. And obviously coming out of COVID, all of that is kind of going to be different. And so we were like 30 minutes into this big brainstorming meeting. Okay, we got to do this and this and this, and we're going to have volunteers for this door. And we're going to have prop up doors so people don't need to open them and all this sort of stuff. And then someone brought up the point, well, are all of our volunteers coming back? And that kind of stopped the whole conversation. And so what we're actually doing is uh, this upcoming week, we're sending out a survey to our volunteers and saying, um, if we started meeting in person with these precautions, would you feel comfortable serving? Would you feel comfortable if you had to wear a mask? Would you feel comfortable uh, if you didn't have to wear a mask? Would you like to wait until there's a vaccine? All these sort of questions um, to even ask of our volunteers because so often we don't have all the information. So test those things out. And this also goes back to that whole uh, you know, constructive disagreements is we could have gone 100% forward. And then once we start scheduling people for that first week, we're promoing, we're back in live. <laughs> and then we realize, oh, we only have like 20% of the volunteers that we need to pull off what we were trying to accomplish. Right. And so, but if you test those things and you say, hey, maybe like you said, check the pulse, kind of see how it goes and then adjust accordingly mm-hmm. um, before, okay, we're going all out. We're going to you know, send out a mailer to the whole neighborhood saying we're meeting again and then realizing it's not going to work. Um, test those things. And so I think that that's really wise. Right. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, villain number three. Villain number three is short-term emotion. So this is being influenced by feelings that will eventually fade. Uh, maybe you have a really rough conversation with a um, someone in your congregation, and it makes you, you know, you're sitting at home trying to get to bed, and you can't shake that conversation. Um, and now all of a sudden you feel like, well, maybe I should just completely change course. You've been planning for something. You've been preparing for something. You've been seeking God about something. But because one family is upset or maybe some offhand comment makes you double think something, um, maybe it's uh, you're angry about something. Uh, maybe you're nervous about something. Uh, one thing, for example, uh, real life uh, application again, is we're not planning on fully opening up probably until July, potentially even August. Mm -hmm. uh, we have different phases where we'll do like house church and small groups and all that sort of stuff before that. But as far as like congregating together, whoever wants to come can come. Um, and there are churches in our area who are starting to open up maybe in June. And so the sometimes the short-term emotion of that can honestly be panic. Oh man, uh, other churches are going to open. If we don't open, then they're just going to go to a different church and we're going to lose everybody and all that sort of stuff. And then we can completely change something that we've been working on and praying about and all that sort of stuff and not saying one way is right or one way is wrong. Um, but what we can do is in that emotion of fear that maybe someone will be unhappy or maybe that things will go poorly or, um, you know, anything along those lines, that short-term emotion is going to influence these big, huge sweeping decisions that we make. Right. Um, and so that's not a good way to kind of make those decisions. So what is a healthy way? What's the next thing in the wrap process? So the next thing is attain distance before deciding. Attain distance before deciding. And so, um, you know, one way we do this is, you know, we kind of set aside our short-term emotion. And, and I'm going to be honest with you again, I've been in ministry 20 years. I've been around a lot of pastors, a lot of really good pastors, but one theme that I've seen, especially in lead pastors is very high energy, very charismatic, mm -hmm. very everything. And they're not that they're emotional people, but they are passionate and mm -hmm. full of energy, which is partially what makes a lot of good lead pastors is that, mm -hmm. you know, that people are drawn to them. Um, they have great vision casting abilities, all of those things. What it also means is that they have a tendency to jump from emotion to emotion, emotion, which mm -hmm. means that sometimes if they don't have a good team or if they don't use their team, they jump from decision to decision, decision, and that gets dangerous. And so, you know, the one thing, one thing that, that, that as pastors we can do is we can overcome the short-term emotion by, by kind of setting it on the shelf for a while. Um, you know, again, emotions are great for inspiration, motivation, um, but they can be misleading um, when it comes to decision-making because, you know, like you said, somebody can say something, you know, that kind of derails us or, you know, we can get a criticism, you know, or, you know, we can have somebody in the church saying, hey, you know, we really think that, that we need to have this because, you know, our church doesn't have it. Our church really needs it. And so we really need to have this thing. And the next thing you know, you're creating this thing, you know, because these people are disappointed or upset. And it's, it's just not a healthy way to run, you know, any organization, but specifically a church and a ministry. At the same time, for us as leaders, we tend to make poor decisions when we're stuck into the emotion. And so, uh, you know, so part of it is, is giving it time. You know, mm -hmm. when something happens, you know, 
overcome that short-term emotion by giving it time and setting it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that, that helps us attain distance in our decision-making is stick to your core values or your core priorities. Who are you as a church and who have you decided you're going to be? What are the, the, the main ideas or core values that you hold? You know, you know, a lot of churches, we have a mission, vision, and core values, but we don't, we don't do anything with them. They, mm-hmm. Maybe they're on a document, maybe on the wall somewhere, but they should really, if they don't identify who we are, then we need to revisit them and reconstruct them. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to decision-making, we should lean on our core values because we're always going to be faced with, you know, decisions that maybe seem like, you know, they're both good decisions. So how do we decide which one to do? Well, if we take and put them against our core values, usually one decision will shine because that's who we've said we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times when we agonize about our decisions, it's a sign of a conflict with our core. Values. We want to do something. We think it's a great idea, but it doesn't line up with our core values. And, and instinctively, we understand that and we know that but we really want to do it. Like the emotion is pushing, you know, we want to, we want to start an outreach, you know, downtown because we just, you know, we had an, an emotional response to something we saw or an event we went to. And we just, you know, we really need to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, is that who we are in our core values? Maybe the question is, is we need to reevaluate our core values, mm-hmm. but allow your core values to guide you as a pastor and as a church. And if the core values need to be adjusted, then, then, then go through the proper process of doing that to guard yourself and guard your team from making reactive emotional decisions, create that natural distance um, that even kind of safeguards you as a leader from making emotional decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of thoughts on that. So uh, the short term emotion, uh, like let it sit on a shelf. One thing that reminds me of is when I was an intern uh, in student ministries uh, when you're in a room, like you, I loved how you said, like, it's really great for inspiration, motivation, creativity, all that sort of stuff. So many times have I been in a meeting where you just get on this train of thought and you think it's the best idea ever. And people are throwing out like, oh, and then we could do this and then we could do that. And then by the, you know, 30 minutes in, you think that you're going to change the world with this one idea and it's the greatest thing you've ever done. And we always kind of had a fail safe against that, which was um, my youth pastor's wife. So what we would do is we're like, hey, we're going to film this video. We're going to do this sermon series. It's going to be great. And like we would just kind of feed off of each other and get super excited. And then what we would do is we would call her and we would say, hey, here's the idea. We're going to go and we're going to do this and it's going to be hilarious. And then we always knew if there was a long pause on the other side of the line that maybe we had just gone a little bit too like, Maybe it's not as great of an idea or maybe it's not as funny as we thought. And so, you know, in that emotion, like it's very easy to be like, you know, we should do this. Yes, let's do it. And I love how you said sometimes it's even good ideas, but really wrestling that with our core values. And if it's what's really important, it's why car salesmen always want to sell you the car before you leave (laughs) because they know like if they can get you now when like you test drove and Hey, I can give you a couple hundred off if you get it right now. They know like the chance of you buying the car drops drastically. If you go home and you sleep on it and you, you know, do a little bit more research and all that sort of stuff. But if your core value is, Hey, I don't want to be in debt, (laughs) then you need to weigh that against that. Or uh, my core value is I need to get to work. 
and I don't have a car, that changes whether or not you're going to purchase the car. Um, and one thing that's helped me a lot um, when it comes to the whole honoring your core values is really focusing on the cap capital, the church versus our church. Yes. Realizing that you're, it's okay that other people go to different churches, that you are not going to knock it out of the park with everything. But you can be really good. At, like, obviously, you should be diligent and you should, you know, have, you know, share the gospel, you know, help those in need, all those sort of things. But there are certain things like I know of a church uh, that in um, that I used to work at amazing at missions, like incredible, probably like one of the top ones in the nation that and that's just they've decided that's super important to them. That's where a lot of their money goes to. That's where a lot of their effort goes to. Um and so we can either like say like, okay, well, we're also going to do that. We'll realize, hey, they're doing really well at that. Maybe we can partner with them or team up with them. Um, but we don't want to m- maybe spread ourselves so thin that we're not doing anything well. Um, and so, yeah, really weighing that against your core priorities and your core values. And okay, is this who we are as a church? And not that it's not a bad idea or not that it's not something that's worthy of trying or diving into. But is it something that we only have so much energy? We only have so much resources. Right. Are we using that in the way that we say that we want to use that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and another good practice, especially for you know lead pastors, but I think for any pastors, is ask yourself, if, if, if I had a friend or if I had another pastor or another church coming to me and I was consulting with them, mm-hmm. what would I advise them to do? Because when you put yourself in that framework, then you're somewhat removing yourself from the emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're looking at it from a little bit more of an objective position. And usually what you would advise them to do is, is a little bit different than what you're emotionally drawn to doing. Absolutely. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, maybe the emotion doesn't subside. You know, maybe, you know, you give it time and the emotion is still there, you know, you know, it doesn't mean that the emotion is wrong or the emotion is bad. It's just you're not making your decision out of the emotion. Even though the emotion continues, you're coming to a point of decision and saying, no, this is where we need to go. And obviously, taking to God, praying it through, and all of those things help that. Mm-hmm. You know, it help, you know, even in the emotion, God solidifies, hey, this is the direction that I'm wanting you to go. Um, you know, getting that a little bit of distance over the emotion in the moment um, you know, kind of helps in that allows you to pray it through and allows God to speak to you, allows the Holy Spirit to guide you. So, um, okay. Give us uh, villain number four. Villain number four is overconfidence. Um, which, you know, once again, a lot of pastors sometimes have, um, maybe it's just having too much faith in your predictions. Maybe it's, (laughs) Hey, you know, COVID is over. Uh, our Facebook live videos have been getting hundreds of views and, you know, People have been commenting that have never come to the church and they're excited that they found the church and all this sort of stuff. And now we're going to have live services again. And so now like let's set up twice as many chairs because, you know, so many people are just really dying to come back to church. And then maybe it doesn't go over. (laughs) Or maybe you think like, this is the best idea ever. Maybe it's something you've done before. I've done this so many times. It's something you've done before. It was like amazing. You knocked it out of the park. So many people like came to know God and it was incredible. And then you try it again and it's just, you bought 500 pizzas and five people showed up. (laughs) Like, it's just, you have this overconfidence of thinking that, oh, this is definitely going to work. 
it worked before, it worked at this other place, um, or I don't understand why this wouldn't work. Um, and what that does is that almost just sets you up for this cross, like this idea of you're higher and higher and higher and higher. And that just makes the gap between what you expect and reality farther and farther and farther. And that drop just becomes a little bit more painful. So just that overconfidence of this is the best idea ever. It's going to work. And I'm not saying you can't have confidence, but that overconfidence of there's no way this won't work. Right. And so that's definitely something that we want to kind of shoo away from when we're making decisions that this is definitely going to work. There's no way this will fail. Uh, if this fails, I quit. <laughs> like, right. That's never a good idea. So how do we kind of finish this rap process and make good decisions? So the final one is prepare to be wrong, mm-hmm. prepare to be wrong. And as leaders, that's not intuitive for us, you know, yeah. especially for us who, you know, if, if, if you're a leader who has been leading for a long period of time, you have a, a fair amount of success. Um, you know, you're, you're in a healthy way, confident in your decision-making abilities. Um, you know, sometimes we're not thinking about the possibility of us being wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but when you're, when we're making decisions, we need to always process through, okay, what if I am wrong? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And so, you know, so my um, doctoral work is, is in um, foresight or future um, uh, kind of future trending. Mm-hmm. And so what we say is, is, is bookend your, uh, your predictions or bookend your decisions. And so, you know, what we tend to do naturally is we tend to think of our decision as a fixed point in the future. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is where we're going and this is what it looks like. But what really is the case is, you know, we call the scenario planning. There is a range. So we are at a fixed point right now, mm-hmm. but the future. So let's say three months from now, there's a wide range of possibilities that could happen. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to do is you don't, you want to kind of find the two bookends of that range. And you want to say, okay, here's the best case scenario. So if my decision or if our decision goes right, this is the best scenario that it could lead to. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, if our decision goes wrong, here's the worst case scenario that it could lead to. Mm -hmm. And then you had, so, so now you've established um, what your range is. And so now you can say, okay, if, if, if it all goes wrong, and the worst case scenario comes true, how do we recover or navigate that? Mm-hmm. And then if our best case scenario comes through, comes true, how do we then build off of that or make that another opportunity if that were to be, be the case? And so, mm-hmm. again, we kind of bookend the future. We figure out our worst case and our best case, and we prepare for both. And then if we fall anywhere in between – we just adjust from our two bookends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of, you know, preparing to be wrong. You know, I, I always would say when I was younger, um, you know, I expect the best, but I'm prepared for the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I, I, I want to be confident in my decision making. I want to believe in the best um, that's going to happen. I want that. But I also don't want to be blindsided by, oh, man, this was a tragic mistake mm-hmm. decision. And I'm completely unprepared to handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about here is bookend your future. Um, Find the two best and worst case scenario situations and plan for both ends. Yeah. And I think that it's really wise to kind of, you know, we're not trying to be pessimistic either. Like 
you can be optimistic and pessimistic and realist at the same time. So once again, going back to COVID, let's say you open up worst case scenario, you get a phone call on Monday after you have your first service and someone says, Hey, I just want to let you know, I tested positive and I, you know, hugged everybody. (laughs) And like, so we're like, in that case, what if that happens? Uh, Is your plan to then not meet the following week? Disinfect? Uh, Are you going to communicate to people? Like, Worst case scenario, hopefully that does not happen. Hopefully you don't need to walk down that. But like you said, worst case scenario, best case scenario, uh, your church normally has 80 people show up to it. But because you've had a great online presence, because you've been um, you know, doing Facebook Live every week and people are really excited to be in person again, uh, your 80 person is now 120 people. Uh, how are you still going to do social distancing? Um, do you have the chairs to prepare for that? Like you said, it's a range of things. Um, and not saying that, I think the problem is we expect the 120, we don't expect the Monday phone call. Right. So uh, kind of mapping out both of those uh, and kind of seeing where it goes just so, okay, worst case scenario is you wasted 30 minutes of your time. And it's not even wasting 30 minutes because you now have a process of how that goes. And so I think that's really important that uh, I love that idea that uh, do we need, what do we have to survive if the worst case scenario happens? Um, and then also being ready in case it just is the best thing ever and you need to kind of prepare for even more. Right. So then another way that we prepare to be wrong is we, we, we trust the process. So most of us as pastors, we are surrounded by a staff. We're surrounded by board. We're surrounded by core leaders. All of those people are in place, particularly your staff are in place because you've chosen to hire them. Most, most of the time you've chosen to hire them. You've built a team around them, hope around you. Hopefully you have chosen smart people who are talented in their different areas and who can contribute in a constructive way to the health and development and growth of your church. And so trust the process of taking things to them. Trust the process of going to your board who have been elected um, to, in most cases, elected to kind of oversee and help decision-making. Trust your core leaders that you've developed and put in place. Trust the process of going to those people and running things up the flagpole and getting feedback and allowing them to speak into it. Trust that process because that process is designed to keep us as pastors from making bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as pastors, you know, so I, early on, I learned this. Uh, uh, I was always told, make sure you have change in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is, you know, especially when you start out uh, in a new position, you're kind of just given a whole bunch of change in your pocket because nobody knows what to expect. You're the new guy. And so they're just saying, hey, we're just going to give this guy a lot of grace and let him kind of, you know, find his way. Mm-hmm. So every time you make a mistake, you're doling out change. Mm-hmm. But hopefully along the way, you're making some good decisions, you're building relationships, you're getting change in your pocket. And, and, and the idea is, is that your entire ministry, you always have more change in your pocket than you have giving out. But every time you make a bad decision, you're giving out change. Well, sometimes in some pastors and some leaders, they're bankrupt. They have nothing in their pockets and they're still making bad decisions. They have nothing left to give, but they're still making bad decision after bad decision because they're not trusting the process and listening to the people that 
in a lot of times they've put in place to help them make good decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, trust the process, um, you know, decisions when you're making decisions as a group, there's this added burden of making sure that things are at least perceived to be fair. Mm -hmm. If you make a decision, a unilateral decision that nobody spoke into, you own that entirely. You, there's, you, if it goes South, there's nobody to put it on, but yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and if it goes well, you still kind of lose because your staff, your board, your leaders, they weren't a part of the process. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they had an opportunity to speak into it. They didn't, they don't feel like they had the opportunity to be a part of it. And now you're just working autonomously, which then eventually will make them ask the question, well, why am I even here? Mm -hmm. What's the point of even being in this position to help you when you're not allowing me to help you? Mm -hmm. um, and so again, trust that process. It's in place, not as this millstone around your neck as a leader and a pastor, it's in place as a safeguard and accountability to make sure you make good decisions. Mm -hmm. um, during quarantine, I've been reading a book called Canoeing in the Mountains, uh, which, fantastic book. But one of the big things that kind of stood out to me is the idea of people uh, won't, I think it's people won't trust you off the map unless they trust you on the map. So if you're going into like uncharted territory, like you need people to trust you kind of ahead of the time. So there are going to be times as leaders where not necessarily you have to make a unilateral decision, but if you trust the process on a regular basis, if people feel like they are consistently heard, if they feel like um, their opinions matter, uh, that you trust them in their areas that you have hired them to be over. Um, if like for me, like I, you know, have helped out in kids ministry. If for some reason I was ever a lead pastor, I would want to hire someone that I feel knows kids ministry better than me. Not that I can't have input or can't have suggestions or kind of say, where's the church we're headed. But I'm assuming that the person that I hire knows that better than me and can make those decisions in most cases better than I can. Right. So I need to trust that process. So then when something comes off the map, when something like, you know, <laughs> one of the things that we're struggling with is how do we even have kids ministry in the age of, you know, coronavirus, because you can't have kids social distance, they don't get the concept. And so, um, you know, when you come to these things where maybe as a leader, you have to make those decisions, if you have trusted them in all of these other decisions, even when you have to go off the map, or in those rare circumstances where you have to make the decision or the tiebreaker as a leader, they're going to trust you in those decisions because they know, okay, then my, my voice is heard, my opinion is valued, and they trust that process that you have gone through that process. And it's not something, like you said, you're just always spending change that you might not have, but there's that constant back and forth. So I think it's really great um, just kind of in ensuring that you're hiring the right people, that you trust the right people, whether it's your board or your staff or your team, whatever that is that you're trusting them. And then they also trust you when those tiebreaker decisions or, Hey, thus saith the Lord. It's not every staff meeting is thus saith the Lord, but it's like, Hey guys, I know, like, I trust you. You guys know that I trust you. You know, I value your opinion, but I really feel like this is the direction that we have to go. If you pull that card every other month, like that, like they're like, well, you don't really trust our opinion then. Right. Uh, like you're kind of lip service it. But at the same time, if you're like, man, like, he does listen to me. She does trust what I have to say. Um, then when in those extreme cases, when you do kind of almost, for lack of a better term, have to pull rank, 
then it doesn't come across as a dictatorship. It doesn't come across as, you know, my word is the end all because mm-hmm. you normally do trust in that process. So I think that this, that's another thing for leaders is they don't want it to be, well, this isn't a democracy. Like you guys right. can't always outvote right. me. We're not saying that, but what we're saying is like, you're trusting in that process of, I trust my team. I trust the people who God has surrounded me with and that I've surrounded myself with to help me make wise decisions. Right. Well, and so I just recently heard um, a conversation with Rachel Hollis. Um, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, she's an author, um, uh, speaks on a lot of different topics. But she was talking about how over these last few months, all of us as leaders, we've gone from peacetime generals to wartime generals. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in those first couple months, you know, most of us were, you know, making a lot of quick decisions with, you know, less input than we normally were getting mm-hmm. because we didn't have time to run through all the different channels to make sure everybody was on board, you know? And so there, you know, as you're saying, there's, there's definitely times where, you know, the wartime general has to kick in and decisions just need to be made and people just need to follow. But, but it, you know, just like in a wartime situation, intensity goes up, everybody's stress level goes up and it's only for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. And so like you're saying, if you, if you are, you know, if you're making good decisions and you're trusting the process and you're leaning on your people in the peacetime, then they will back you hundred percent in the mm-hmm. wartime. Absolutely. And so again, going back to the change in your pocket, you're filling your, your pockets full of change in the peacetime. And when wartime hits, your people will follow you hundred percent. And even going back to what you were saying earlier, they're not going to go to a different church just because you're not opening the doors. Mm-hmm. They're going to mm-hmm. stay because they've seen you lead through peacetime they're going to trust you in the wartime and they're going to walk with you all the way through this whole process. And so, Absolutely. and even as leaders, you can take confidence in that. If you've invested in, in, in your people and you've trusted them and they've trusted you and you have change in your pocket, don't worry about whether or not they're coming back because the ones who really, really trust you and buy into you and not are, you know, not looking to be consumer Christians, they're going to come back. Don't worry about that. Um, you know, just make sure that you're leading in such a way that draws them back. And so, so yeah, good conversation. Any final thoughts for you, Matt? Um, I just really love, I think this is incredibly topical just right now specifically. I mean, always we want to make really good decisions, but man, that the wartime peacetime thing, I think that was like the last thing you said, but I think that's very important. Just that um, there are going to be times where you have to just make decisions. Um, And we're going to miss the mark. Sometimes we're not always going to make the best decision. We're not always going to make the right decision, but I think that the more that we can practice this rap mentality, if you will, mm-hmm. um, then when we do miss the mark, we'll be given more grace. And when, you know, when we are confronted with things, we'll be less emotional about it. Uh, you know, we won't just say, this is my idea and we're going to go with it. But I think that this almost gives you a lot of really good safety guards and like safety rails of your decision making. So then even, like I said, when you miss the mark, because we're human and we miss the mark, you're going to get things wrong. You're going to make mistakes. But if you've kind of, you know, refined it in this fire of taking all these different things, then people are much more likely to give you grace than, ah, well, you know, I watched a YouTube video and I got really passionate about a thing and like, right. and so that's why I decided to do this big sweeping change. Be I like, went to a uh, 
<laughs> exactly. I went to a conference. This guy was really convincing. And so we're launching a campus in Toledo. Like, <laughs> like what? But if you're like, oh, okay, like I've been praying about it and I see a need here and we have people who are able to commute, like, know what I mean? And you've kind of thought through that whole process, then people are much more likely at the campus in Toledo fails than people are like, okay, well, you you kind of went through the process and right. you trusted that process and you it wasn't an emotional thing where you thought it was going to go great and then it blows up in our face and now we're doomed. Mm -hmm. So that's my big thing is I think that it really just protects leaders when you make good decisions that even when you make bad decisions, if you prep, like you're going to be making good decisions, you get a lot more grace. So what are your final thoughts as far as this whole process and decision-making? Well, I think, you know, as pastors in church, it's all built on culture and culture is built on trust. And so, you know, one of the things that I see, so often is I see a lot of pastors who struggle with just confidence, confidence in their leadership, confidence in themselves. Um, and, and a lot of that stems from the decision-making process as leaders. That's what we do. We make decisions and we need to be really good at making decisions if we want to be good leaders. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us make decisions just kind of haphazardly, you know, we, we don't have a clear process of making decisions. And so if you don't have a process of making decisions, then use the wrap process. Mm -hmm. And if you have a decision-making process, evaluate it and make sure that it's, it's a process that's designed to give you accountability, designed to weed out all of these four villains that we talked about and put you in a frame of mind and an objective frame of mind to take in the necessary information, take in input, uh, challenge your own assumptions and challenge your own emotions and make the decisions that are necessary. Because like we talked about at the beginning, this is all new territory for all of us. Mm -hmm. and, and quite honestly, some of us are going to make bad decisions. That's just the way it is. Because there is no playbook for this. Yeah. And so we're going to make bad decisions. The idea is, is don't let that shoot your confidence and don't let that derail you. Allow that to just inform your next decision mm -hmm. because you're going to have another chance to make another decision. So allow that to inform your next decision and just make a better decision. Improve your process so your decision making is, is increasingly better as you go through this. And maybe at some point down the road, we're going to get into something that looks what the normal was before and you'll get in familiar territory and you'll be able to say, oh, I've been here and I've done this before. Um, but even if not, if you, if you have a good decision-making process, you're ready for whatever is coming and whatever's thrown at you because your process of decision-making is good. Your confidence is going to grow. People are going to trust you. They're going to follow you. And your church is going to be effective. Your ministry is going to be effective. And that's ultimately what each of us is wanting to do in our own areas of the country and in our own ministries. So, so those are my final thoughts. Make, have a good decision-making process. Make good decisions. Be confident in that and lead your people well. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Good talk, man. Love it. Man, this was good. This was good. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed this. Uh, we'll be back again in our next episode. Um, thank you all for listening and being a part. Uh, we love if you share, uh, comment, um, any way that you can engage with us um, on our Facebook page. Um, that would be great. We just, uh, we, we're loving doing this. Mm -hmm. um, I had a great feedback from a pastor the other day, one of my clients, and he said, you know, we're, I'm just loving everything that you're giving me because as we're going through this whole scenario, you're giving me so much good information on how to you know, engage with my team, make decisions. And that was super encouraging for us. 
Um, and, and so anytime that you can do that, we would very much appreciate it. So like it, share it, put it out there wherever you need to. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. If you know of a ministry leader looking to grow and take their ministry to the next level, please share this podcast with them. Go deeper by joining us on Facebook under I Will Mind the Gap, where you can ask questions that we can answer in future episodes. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Until next time, continue to mind the gap of your ministry.